Welcome to What If But Good, a podcast about writing badly until you can write well. I'm your host, Peter Lundquist. I'm your host that laughs too loud, Evan Pugh. And I'm your taller host, Silas Robinson. Each season, the three of us go through the daunting task of attempting to write feature-length screenplays from scratch in just 16 weeks. Will we succeed? Will we fail? Will we give up writing and become godless sodomites? There is only one way to find out. Listen in each week as we battle our writing demons, each other, and the sound of a buzzing refrigerator on... What What if if but but good? If you'd like to follow along with our rushed, unfinished pages each week, check us out at whatifbutgood.com and on all socials as whatifbutgood. Hey. hey, ladies and germs. Do what if but do. Uh, do the uh, do do it. Uh, that thing you do. <laughs> <laughs> There's anything you got to do. It's that thing that you do best. Uh, welcome to. I was referring to the Tom Hanks movie. But oh, I don't. Oh, is it a? Is it big, that thing big, you do? Big. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So we're in. Uh, I think this is. Probably. Wow, we were, as Borat yeah. would say. As he would. Um, how, how, how was this week for you for writing, this two weeks? This two weeks was actually pretty good. I did two things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, one was I did not use sprints all that much. Mm-hmm. And the other was I wrote on some uh, weekdays, mm-hmm. which I hadn't been doing before. I kind of forced myself to do it. Um, and I, I had some time uh, on, on weeknights to, uh, to do some writing. And it, it you know... I think part of it was putting myself in that 30 minute time limit every time right. was like throwing me off. Cause I would, I would get home and then I would do all the things I need to do, prepare dinner or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, Oh, if I start a sprint now, then I'm locked in for half an hour. Right. So I just kind of wrote here and there throughout. Uh, most of the writing was done in the last week, not in the week before, but I still got up to about what I was looking for. I got a, 18 and a half or so pages. Yeah. And, uh, I was, all I said last time was progress, mm-hmm. so it's not like twenty pages or whatever, but it's you know it's you, you were, pretty good. You were almost on twenty pages. You were yeah. like right up there, and you you were I would say you were well within the margin of error for your ten pages a week goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did it go for you? Um, it went pretty good. I'm I'm happy with the results. Um, it uh, th- th- I was really busy the past two weeks. Like I, I worked five days a week, mm-hmm. which I don't normally do. Um, and uh, the whole time I was just like, how have Evan and Peter? Doing this. <laughs> you know, well, we don't work twelve-hour days. Either. That's true. That's true. Um, I, I was extremely busy this week. Um, last, as of last week, when we were supposed to meet, I had like two pages written. Oh wow! Yeah. So you really marathoned in the last I, uh, week or so. I those those thirty-seven pages I wrote yesterday and today. Oh my goodness! I don't know how you do what you do. <laughs> well, we all don't know each other's process. It's true. As much as we explain it every episode. <laughs> um, yeah. So for for me, I I did my normal thing, which is I went back and uh, kind of combed over the stuff. I, I these pages were hard for me. Um, yeah. The the last sort of chunk that I'd written, I was feeling very very stuck by. I kept like trying to sort of, okay, what's the next scene? And then I, it, I would just be totally stumped. And I, I definitely put some thought into it, and I was like, there's some stuff that isn't working here. Um, so I, I went back. I, I kept more than I usually do. I usually just throw everything in the trash and start over, which is uh, bad. That's, that's a bad habit. It's bad, very bad habit. But this time my offspring would say, he's got a bad habit. As they, they, <laughs> that song is about me. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, the, uh, I, I didn't do that this time. I... I 
sort of was able to work with what I had. It wasn't like a total loss, but um, I when I originally outlined this and had my like beat sheet and everything, and, and literally not one single thing has stuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, there was the thing about the the process of yeah. you know passing on to future generations that exactly. that's in there. Um, the uh, there was a detail from that. Like, like as I have deviated and sort of changed stuff in Act 1 that sort of has split and, and gone off and gone on to create bigger and bigger changes. Um, we talked about this a little bit, but I've never, I haven't changed the structure that much up until now. And, and this was the, the sort of Act 2 and Act 3 is where I, I kind of changed it. Originally it was like Flora and Yvonne and, and Margot sort of have a quiet little moment where they're like, we can't keep, keep doing this in the end of Act 2. And they have sort of this little quiet time and then Flora has a realization and she plunges ahead and I kind of dumped that and had it be the sort of like going to visit Margo and Yvonne on weekends and yeah and divorced mom Flora exactly <laughs> uh it didn't I, I actually went back to the way I had it originally outlined and I, I think it works better um well cool yeah, yeah. uh also um if you're listening to this you might notice a couple things are a little different First of all, the uh, the audio might sound different. That's because we're not using our usual recording setup. It's true. Uh, second of all, there's a there's a voice not here right now. Yeah. It's the voice of Evan who uh, could not make it this evening. Although he may walk in at any moment. So if you hear an awkward cut, <laughs> that's what that's going to be. Yeah. Uh, Pew Master Pew uh, is is off at work, and uh, I think it's high time we establish the precedent that um, it is okay to have a life outside of this podcast. Uh, it's okay for you guys. For me, I don't have a life outside this podcast. So. Okay, gotcha. So if, if you miss an episode, we need to call the police. <laughs> <laughs> Start calling local hospitals and uh, yeah. look at the, the sides of roads on the 134 and the 2 okay. and see if you see a car that looks like mine. Okay, got it. Um, um, yeah. so, so, Peter, um, yes. tell, me, tell me about your pages this week and... Uh, how, how did you how did you feel about them? What were your goals, and how do you think you did? So my pages this week are all about the the very end of Act Two A, right before the midpoint, and then like the one two punch in the midpoint, and then sort of the fallout of the midpoint. It doesn't get into Act Three, which is where they talk about taking definitive action, uh, or they don't talk about it. They take definitive action. That's the point of Act Three. <laughs> um, but <laughs> talking about definitive action is for earlier in the script. That's some Act Two shit. <laughs> Yeah, it's just kind of the fallout of the midpoint where it's the the world is starting to lose its symbiotes, or at least this small chunk of the world is. They are uh, s- s- having to face that realization and kind of determine what they're going to do about it. Sammy goes one way where she wants to stop Aaron's plan, and Greg thinks it's futile, but he wants to save Sammy. And uh, that's that's basically what my pages are about. I think it, it's getting closer to the outline for me. Which, the first act and a half or so, I kept adding and changing things from the outline and just doing things differently or, like, saying, oh, it would be interesting to have different stakes here or whatever. But for these pages, it's basically exactly what I had planned, including, like, I used a line that appears in the outline, like, a line of dialogue that appears in the outline. And uh, I think that's a good thing overall, because that means that the outline that I wrote is doing its job. But I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are. This is how you remembered it going and all that. But overall, I think I did a fairly decent job. This this two weeks uh, worth of pages. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think you did great work here, man. I think that act like act. I mean, take it from me. Act three is not where you want to be like fussing around with the outline. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it really. If if there's you know they say if you have act act three problems are always act one problems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I think you've done really well here. The quality of like the banter is 
up where it usually is with yours, which is very funny. You made some changes to earlier pages, but the, the, and I think this is from that time. Like, I don't think this is new, but the, I'm, I'm always thirsty for your juice line. <laughs> that, fell out. that was great. So there's a couple things I think work really, really well here, story-wise. This is a really great midpoint. It feels like a midpoint. <laughs> like the, the, the moment where they wake up and there's Aaron, it's like, yeah, that's... We're barreling forward. <laughs> that's a midpoint. Yeah. And I think that you... Like, the, the moment where it sort of gets a little sweet and kissy with Greg and uh, Sammy at the at the, da- at the party. Yeah. And then they, like, run home. And then it takes that sour turn. Was really, really nice. I liked the ways that it happened. I, like, I liked how it was... Like, it, it was clear that there was something sincere happening mm-hmm. from both of their ends. And then they, they both screwed it up in their own way. She yeah. was, like, too callous. And he was too... Too eager or yeah, too... Yeah, exactly. Too emotionally available i guess exactly that that was a, that was a really nice it was a really nice little moment and it, it felt good seeing it go well and it felt it felt sad seeing it turn sour so it's like mm. it's like and i think that's exactly what a midpoint should do it's like we, we see how far we've come we see the growth that we've done and we it's also very clear like what still needs to happen yeah i also love aaron's turn like 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 post symbiote aaron is such a delight to the sentence <laughs> i think i think my my favorite line here, and I think this is the sort of line that would distinguish this from, like, you know, something like Knocked Out. Like, I think that if someone was reading the screenplay as, like, a, you know, a prospector for the studio or someone was reading it, it would be, like, lines like this where they'd be like, okay, this, there's something here. Is when he's like, um, uh, it was when he says, uh, I'll tell you what's harsh. I'm harsh. I was a dick before I got a symbiote. I'm a dick now. I got a giant ego, and I fucking hate myself. I'm a mess of contradictions, baby. <laughs> like, that is... I mean, that, that line is just a joy from top to bottom. You're going to really like the next scene. I, I will. I, uh, I, I think Aaron is, is the gift that we'll keep giving for the second half of the screenplay. Can I, can I spoil with the next scene that I started uh, planning sure. to not really start writing? Sure, it's, I've read the outline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I was a little worried about it, and I finally figured it out like right before we decided to uh, meet mm-hmm. this evening. And I was like, oh, that's what it should be like. And it's going to be... Uh, Judy, the therapist, who he, who Aaron has kidnapped based on Hector's tip, uh, uh, giving therapy to um, to Sammy while they're both kidnapped. Right. But Aaron is going to be next to Judy the whole time, like saying, "Not nah, see, that's bullshit." Yeah. Anytime Judy says anything. Right. And it's just going to be like a nihilistic fucking nightmare of a scene. For it's it's going to be like a. Uh, you know the scene in Shaun of the Dead where they like nail a zombie to a post or whatever and then they like examine it and say like oh this is what it can do this is what it can't do right. it's going to be like that with a symbiote gotcha oh that's great yeah. awesome yeah. That, that, that sounds sounds like a blast yeah I'm looking forward to it um, so there's there was only one thing which stood out for me as not quite working here hmm. um, the so you've got a challenge here which is that Sammy's whole motivation is a fear of and a discomfort around symbiotes. Yeah. And for the second half of the story, you have a guy who has a pretty credible plan for wiping them out and she has to stop him. Yeah. Um, now I, I think that that's, I, I'm, that's not like a plot hole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's a interesting challenge. And I think that if you, if you do that properly, that could feel like a really satisfying turn. It's, it's character growth, you know? Um, you know, character growth. <laughs> Little thing, have you heard of it? Ever heard of it? <laughs> um, I don't think that that transition is working quite at this point. And, and I think that you give us, you give her plenty of reasons to um, see that this is a bad thing. Like, uh, 
there, she has a line about Aaron where she's like, if anyone, I mean, if, if anyone's like Aaron, this is going to be a huge problem. But this is a, this is like a total reversal of her, yeah. of her worldview. And I think that right now it, it feels like a spur of the moment decision. And I think that with very, very minor tweaking, you could make it feel like something that had been built to. And that could happen before or after the Aaron scene. Like you could have moments sort of before the midpoint where we see her sort of starting to accept that maybe like maybe symbiotes are an important thing or, or that they're not just sort of universe. They're not cancer. They're, yeah, they're, yeah. they're like, you know, something else. Uh, but she doesn't want, but she appreciates uh, why it needs to exist. Like poaching her or something. <laughs> um, uh. But, uh, and, and I think there may even be some of that already in the therapy scenes. Um, I think you you need to go a little heavier into yeah. it if you wanted to before the midpoint. Or after the midpoint, you could have a beat where Sammy's like, I see this as an absolute win. <laughs> and then she experiences some things that changes her mind about that beyond just like Aaron peeing in their cereal, which is great. Yeah. I love I love the line like, blame yourself. <laughs> this was your idea. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so so that was the one thing which, which I, I can see exactly how it's going to work eventually. I don't feel like it quite worked yet. Yeah, I, I was definitely concerned about that when I was getting to, just reading ahead in the outline, like, oh, this is not how I set it up previously, because I did not reread the outline until I got to, like, those scenes. Right. And um, I, I hadn't forgotten about it, like, Daenerys forgot about the Iron Fleet or whatever, <laughs> right. but I just, uh, I felt like it was going to be easier than it was. So I tried to cram her whole reversal into the scene where they have oatmeal together. Right. Um where she and Greg are having their oatmeal and just talking about, like, well, her real motivation isn't to get rid of symbiotes. Her real motivation is to save humanity. Right. She thinks of herself as the savior of humanity, and this is her chance to do it. But, like, I agree with you, where there's two things that I, I thought of just as you are talking that I think might make it um, a little easier or a little um, more of a transition that makes sense, is if she sees at the dance scene that symbiotes other than Aaron are okay. Right. Like, other than the one that is, like, trying to test her and possibly kill her, yeah. the other symbiotes are, like, they're a little goofy, but they're they're fine, you know? Mm-hmm. They're not there to hurt her, really. And the other um, thing that could happen is in the therapy scenes, right. if Judy really impresses upon her the benefit that the symbiotes have brought to the world. Because I, I, lean, I leaned away from that because I was worried it was exposition. Mm-hmm. But if I can make it a character beat for Sammy to be like, yeah, no, the world is vegan now. We live in a utopia and all this other shit. And this is basically stolen dialogue from the Rick and Morty episode, but you could have a moment with Judy where she was like, I used to be a, you know, insert yeah. horrifyingly bad thing. And now, now I'm a really good, awesome therapist. Like I couldn't have done that without a symbiote. You know, like yeah. you could, it's, you know, again, what up a good? <laughs> yeah, make it not from Rick and Morty, but but yeah. you know you could do something like that. I I think you know it's it's okay for her to have a sort of quick turn. I think what what is missing here is a clear sense of what her end game is. Yeah, because the way that she is acting in this version of the screenplay, it seems like she wants thing like she wants this everything to go back to normal. Which is up until the where we're at right now, basically. Like, like the first when when she says like I, we gotta stop him, it seems like what she wants is for the symbiotes to take over again, hmm. which is 
I mean, I don't think there's any world where that ends up being Sammy's motivation. She could appreciate that, like, symbiotes are, you know, beneficial in some ways or, like, you know, not want them to, you know, be, be obliterated or something. And she could also definitely be, like, like we we it's happening too fast like coexistence i think it, is where she's headed right exactly um it, it definitely and, and if that's the case i think that should be made clear and and that could be an interesting conversation for her to have with greg and really at any point like this could happen before the midpoint right during the midpoint after the midpoint of her saying like you know i don't think the symbiotes are like like i, I see the benefit of the symbiotes like i don't you know, uh, and Greg being like, like, what are you kidding? <laughs> like, <laughs> There's a museum with a statue of me taking a shit. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Exactly. Um, you know, so that's, there's, there's definitely some, some ore to pull out of that mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was, that was the one thing that occurred to me that felt a little bit, that just, I, I just don't think was, was quite working. Um, the rest of this feels, uh, at, at worst, very functional and it masked very funny. Yeah. Um, well, what did you think of the the later scenes with like Miguel having his breakdown and then going to the mall? Um, Miguel having his breakdown, uh, I thought was great. Um, it's it's great because it's it's this it's a power dynamic reversal, and and Miguel has been such a kind of dominating figure up until this point that it's great to, to see Greg. There's there's a couple things which are are new for these characters. One, Greg being the one in power is mm-hmm. a change. And that's cool. And the other, Greg being like compassionate about a symbiote is cool. Yeah. And being like worried about this person's safety and like, okay, come on, we got to get you into the car. Like, um, it, like looking at where Greg was at the beginning of Act One to looking at now, where he's like literally dragging an un- a barely conscious guy throughout the city to try and get him a symbiote mm-hmm. is like very different. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, that's the function I think of a of a B story is to like be the thing that helps the main character transform. Right. Because the A story is, uh, their transformation, the B story is like what fuels it, I right. think. Yeah, totally. And, uh, in, in the McGill scenes, I was, I was going for something like, he's never had to care for anyone other than himself. Right. And now he's realizing that he has to care for other people and also for himself. Yeah, and, I, I think that works really well. The, the scene before where Miguel is like chasing Greg is fine. It feels a little bit like the sort of trope of like, Wait a minute! There's an army of not 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 not. You gotta say it to me in French. But, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. like it, it felt a little bit like that. Um, and none of the dialogue felt out of character. And I think that you 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 made Greg's frustration feel pretty genuine, which uh, like saves it. But yeah, you know, maybe in a, in a subsequent draft, you might find a way to push that up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was fine. It it, it was it was very functional. Um, uh, I so love this German thing you've ever said to me, by the way. It was very functional. It was very functional. <laughs> um, the, uh, the Sammy getting immediately captured by, yeah. by Aaron is uh, 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 great. It, it's like, well, okay, she's, she's fucked. <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is pretty bad. Um, yeah, no, I, those, those, all felt, those all felt good. Well, great. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, things that... Don't matter to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just a little bit about because we were talking earlier about like what our uh, extra conversation topic would be for this episode, and yeah. um, and and you mentioned 
you saw Detective Pikachu. I saw Detective Pikachu and I saw Girls Trip, which are two movies I recommend. I, I did not like Girls Trip. Interesting. I thought it was very schmaltzy in a way that wasn't like entertaining to me. Gotcha. Uh, I, I think Girls Trip is, is, is pretty great in a lot of ways. But uh, um, both of those movies did something that I've been thinking about where there's uh, there are things that just need to happen in those movies in order to keep it going. Uh, and like, I'll, I'll start with Girl's Trip. There, so, so Girl's Trip is a movie which strictly adheres to a very, very conventional story structure. Like mm-hmm. it does, it is a to the minute, to the scene, romantic comedy, yeah. adventure, win a romp, whatever. Um, and like, so it, it needs a scene where, uh, there is a confrontation of some kind where, you know, the characters kind of, it's like the sort of the atonement with the father beat, yeah. uh, which in this movie is, uh, it, you know, the big conflict is, is the main character's uh, husband is cheating on her and she sort of has this fake life, um, which is very marketable and that's how she makes all her money. But of course it's all a lie. And so they just, they just need that conflict to, to get cracked open. And the way that they do it is, in a way that makes absolutely no sense plot-wise, like, it's a totally crazy thing to have happen, which is that, like, the woman who he's, he's cheating on her with, like, walks up in the middle of a live taping of a talk show <laughs> and, like, starts a fight. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make any sense at all. Um, but, like, it, you know, there's a, there's a weird way where I sort of respect it, because it's like, they're... They're like, this is not what's making this movie good. Yeah. What's what's making this movie good is like uh like performances and big set pieces and the the, the, yeah. the cooking show scene and the party scenes and all yeah, that. Yeah, it's stuff. like it's yeah, it's like it's like the, the big set pieces and a a a pretty well felt, in my opinion, uh depiction of black women that isn't normally you don't normally see on yeah, it's, uh, it's always the sidekick or whatever. Right? They, they, you don't see black women being friends often. Right, and just, yeah, it's just, like, there's a bunch of really, really great dimensional characters, and they're all black women, and they're all really, really funny, and they're all getting to do stuff they don't normally get to do. And Except for like, Jada Pinkett. I, yeah. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> she, she finally got to break the shackles of having to play Batman villains all the time. <laughs> um, uh so, but I, I feel conflicted about it because on the one hand, it's like the screenwriter in me wants to say, well, like objectively the movie would be better if that had happened for any reason at all. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of me is like, that's not what's making the movie good. And like, they just kind of blew past it. Yeah. To, 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 to they spent as little thought on it as possible so they could get to the good stuff. And there's a lot of movies that just completely ignore the stuff they don't care about like any Chris Nolan movie yeah he doesn't if, if establish the rules why <laughs> yeah exactly uh, or you know Detective Pikachu where they're just like this movie is about playing with cute animals and we're going to do that <laughs> as long as we possibly can and then we'll just have Bill Nye, uh explain everything which has been happening off screen and then we'll get him out of here as quick as we can and then we'll keep playing with cute animals yeah. so I guess my question is like to what like to what extent is it noble to just blast past the stuff that you don't give a shit about, so that the time that you the stuff that you love has space to breathe? Uh, I think it's just a question of 
there's always trade-offs yeah. in any screenplay. There's very few screenplays that approach perfection, and there's no such thing as a perfect screenplay. Right. And um, I think that uh, like you're always just going to have to gloss over at least one or two things. Mm -hmm. It's just you got to choose if those things are hurting your movie or not. Right. You know, like Citizen Kane. There's no one to hear him say his last word. Right. And uh, that doesn't matter. Like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. and what matters is the rest of the story. And if you're really that hung up on that part of Citizen Kane and you can't enjoy the movie because of it, I don't know what to tell you. Right. Uh, I think um, there's definitely something to it. Uh, and it's just like when, when you cross the line, you know, into not caring about too many things. Yeah. For, for me, in, in, in my screenplay... The one thing I know that I am not going to care about uh, when it comes up is the meeting with the goddess beat. Right. Which in your script is very important. Yeah. Uh, in mine, it's just uh, the thing that motivates uh, Greg, that's going to motivate Greg to go out and take action after all is apparently lost, is just he's going to be out of salty snacks. And right. there's going to be people banging on his door asking him for salty snacks. Right. You know? And yeah. I've noticed that the meeting of the goddess beat tends to be extremely important in sci-fi fantasy or adventure stories. And in genres outside of that, it tends to be like a, a, a few seconds of a character, like a character sees something that they remember. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's not like this, it's not usually a Galadriel. <laughs> yeah, the whole yeah. movie stops. Sometimes it's just you see these metal lines and you're like, oh, this reminds me of my entire life up until this moment. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, that's, that's where you go from there. Uh, what, what's the thing that you could otherwise be worried about but aren't worried about in your, in your screenplay? Um, well, the part of the reason I bring this up is my, my tendency is to be worried about everything. Hmm. And I, I, think part of, I think the thing which resonated with me when I was watching Girl Strip and Detective Pikachu in those moments was I was like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> like, it's, it, it's okay to just gloss over stuff. And, and in some ways, I think that was empowering. Um, I, I feel like... I mean, the answer is, as I'm sitting there and writing my screenplay, I'm worrying about absolutely everything. Like, anything I can think of that could make the screenplay better, I'm fretting over how I'm going to get it in. Um, that's that's going to be something for you to Yeah, I know. It's, yeah. Not, it's not sustainable to, to, to keep doing that. Um, I think, uh, you know, uh, right now, the thing which I am not worried about is dimensionalizing any of the NPC characters. Hmm. Um, that, was, that was part of the changes that I made uh, with, with this second half, is the, the, the old woman character... Uh, had a pretty big role in, yeah. in the first iteration of this. And, and that was something which was bugging me. So I'm like, I, I have no dimension for this character, but like, she's the goddess that we're meeting with at the moment. And I don't feel like this movie is about these NPCs. And, I, and, and that was a problem I ran into in the, in the manor sequence. I had all of these dimensionalized NPC characters and I realized like, this isn't what the movie's about. Yeah. So, well, for you, it's it, part of it is that it's kind of a, like a road trip movie, right. right? Where you're going from A to B to C to D. In my movie, it's A to B to C to B to A to B to C to A to C to B. You right. know, and uh, I think that made sense. Mm -hmm. uh, but in your movie, it's just, it's just a straight line, and then you you have like the old woman is really the only character outside of our human characters who returns. Right. Um, 
And I think that's that, that's fine. That's great for that kind of movie because right. it's usually like you're not expecting to see these characters again. Right. And when you do, it's like, oh wow, that's who that was. You right. Know? Yeah, it's like Alice in Wonderland. Like yeah. it, it, it's the the movie makes it very clear. The story makes it very clear that it is linear. We're we are traveling down a road, and with each step along there, we're going to have another random encounter that will get us closer to the final goal. But it's not an interconnected yeah microcosm. It's it's this and then this then this. Um, one just thing I wanted to bring up about this issue of like ignoring stuff uh, two filmmakers who had a fundamental disagreement about this issue were George Lucas and Alfred Hitchcock hmm. Alfred Hitchcock is famous for doing the thing that Girl Strip did just not giving a shit about the stuff <laughs> that doesn't serve his story so much so that he invented a term for it the MacGuffin the MacGuffin yeah, yeah. Um, he, he created a whole language to describe the stuff that he doesn't give a shit about <laughs> and therefore will not bother dimensionalizing. Um, and, you know, he his his most succinct description of a MacGuffin is it's the thing in the story that the characters care about that the audience doesn't. Yeah. Uh, George Lucas thought that was bad filmmaking. Hmm. He, he did not like MacGuffins. He thought that there shouldn't be anything that the filmmaker, or that the characters cared about that the audience didn't. And his solution to that was he made his MacGuffin cute. Hmm. R2-D2 is, is a Maltese Falcon. It's just a thing that conveys information. Yeah. It's, but. It's, it's the, it, I mean, R2-D2 is the plans for the Death Star. Yeah. So he was like, well, let's, let's make us sad if he dies. <laughs> um, yeah. Which I, I, thought, I thought that was a... I was really interested when I realized that that's how R2-D2's character came to be. Like, it was like, George was like, fuck you, Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> I should have given a shit about yeah. uh, the suitcase or whatever. Yeah, I think that's that's interesting to me because, um, I don't know. I, I don't know if my script really has MacGuffin or not. And if it, it does, then it would probably be, what, the symbiotes themselves? Because they're never really explaining. We don't care how they work, really. Um, but when we do care how they like, the symbiotes are, yeah, I don't, I don't think you're... I don't think the, yeah, I don't think your story does have a MacGuffin. Yeah. And part of that is it's a, it's a love story ultimately. Yeah. And it's, it's not a quest for a thing. It's right. you know. Yeah, the the your your story doesn't really need anything to get the plot moving because what gets the plot moving is is boy meets girl. Yeah. 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 If, if 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 they were, you know. Yeah, I mean I mean if if anything the MacGuffin in your movie is the booze. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's it's that's the M Night Shyamalan and Signs thing yeah. where it's like it's well, we just have a thing that's that makes it all change. Don't worry about how how no one has ever taken a sip of booze before. Here's, but, here's why here's why that works though because your story I, I always feel like if it works thematically it's okay if it is a little clunky mechanically. Mm-hmm. Um, your story is about uh, hedonism versus like sort of militant self-care mm-hmm. and like it, it, it just it just feels right that alcohol should kill these symbiotes like it, like it would have been alcohol or, or uh uh like like call of duty <laughs> like it was going to be one of those yeah, like yeah they like, just get addicted to some kind of entertainment yeah. yeah what's what's something that everybody loves that we all basically agree is bad for you <laughs> yeah, yeah um yeah like it 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 it, it feels right in that sense, so you don't have to waste any time explaining why it's the case or unraveling that, because when someone, when we walk into the room and we see that the symbiotes are dying because they had one drink of booze, we'll be like, yeah, that seems right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that seems like something those assholes would do. <laughs> in your story, do you think uh, it's 
I, I think it's the physical nature of Orpheum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's like the, the capsules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And spoiler alert for what we're about to talk about your pages. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we ever really learn it. I don't think we ever see why they get trapped there. Uh, unless, because based on the ending that you have, it seems like they get out, and uh, and then that's that's it. it. It was just their determination that got them out. It wasn't like they figured out some way to shift a molecule or whatever. It was <coughs> Flora doing her thing uh, and understanding the rules of the world, rather than uh, like, oh yeah, you know, you put the one ring into the Mount Doom kind of thing. So. It's interesting you bring that up because because there is very much a put the one ring into the Mount Doom at work here and and I I just made the choice to like every time I would try and get it in there it would just be bad dialogue and so I just pull back on it hmm. um, and I don't really know if either I mean either I'm just gonna leave it ambiguous and it, it could be a Dark Souls little Easter egg for people to pick up on and if the emotional story works, then it shouldn't really matter. Or it's something I can build up in Act 1, or it could be, that could be part of the rewrite. But um, I guess my question to you is, right now, where, with it not really feeling like there is a put the one ring into the thing, uh, how, did, how did it feel? I guess let's, 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 let's fully, just go into your pages. Let's yeah. fully transition into my pages. Uh, so I, fi- I finished the screenplay. I haven't written Act 1 yet, but I, I got to the end. Um, so, in, I mean, in terms of what I wanted to accomplish with these, I, I wanted to tie up all the loose ends and pay off all of the things that I'd set up and uh, have an emotionally satisfying conclusion. Um, uh, in terms of how I think I did, I think that I'm really happy with it in that I think that I have something which I can easily make edits to. Like, I, I feel like all of the pieces are there, and I can improve them. I don't... I, I feel like the bones are good. Yeah. Um, so I feel I feel pretty good about it. And it just feels fun ending a story. I got all, yeah. got all hyped on it. Did, did you... I, I can't remember. Did you actually get to type the end at the end of it? Did, you did. You did. Feels, feels nice. Well, Fade to black. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's going to feel real bad next week when I have to go back to outline. <laughs> <laughs> Interior, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Day. <laughs> D- Day? Day? Um, yeah, so, so um, I guess in, term, okay, in terms of stuff that I am concerned about, I, I, I do a 2001 ending where the dialogue drops out and it gets almost purely symbolic and uh, surreal, and I want that to work. I want that to just kind of feel right, even if you don't exactly know what is going on. Even if you haven't connected all the dots that I did when I wrote it, like, I want it to just sort of feel right um, and not be like, well, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. Um, There's a big section, there's like a three-page section where all of our main characters are dead uh, and we see a whole bunch of new people and I hope that that feels uh, climactic and thrilling rather than alienating and weird. (laughs) Um, And I hope that the ending of them just kind of all waking up and sailing off into the sunset. I hope that that is done in a way that feels like it means something rather than just da da at the end. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, second of all, I, um, one thing that made that stretch you were talking about definitely easier for me was I pictured what the different 
women with flower names looked like. Right. And I picture them as all being either played by the same actress who plays Flora mm-hmm. or by someone who looks very similar. Right. Uh, and we, and like, as, as the women age into being mature adults, Flora's age, they like, will look like, like less like Flora as the generations go on, right. but still like probably the same actress with prosthetics or makeup or CGI or whatever. Yeah. And, um, I think that, uh, unless you have them, it's the way it's written in the script. It's like, she could be her sister, you know? Right. Uh, if it was like just some random girl, then I wouldn't get it as much. But right. because of that, I think that it's it's clear that we're still seeing kind of Flora's spirit move forward. Right. Um, yeah. If it doesn't, if it doesn't sort of feel like it's Flora, it definitely I don't think it would work. Yeah. 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 And um, the the very end, the way that the 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 big mass is solved um, is, if I recall correctly, it's like. She just grows really huge until she can just kind of pl- like swish it away, kind of thing. Um, I don't know exactly what was going on there, but I was okay with it. Okay. I was just like, well, I, the, what I kind of pictured was that she was destroying everything and creating a new self, and uh, by the only way she could get rid of the, uh, the 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 swirling mass, or whatever, was to make it not a problem and to face it on her own terms rather than on the terms on its own terms that she'd been facing on previously where she you know puts on armor and tries to attack it or right. puts on a thing you know it, it just has to be as insignificant to her as possible um and i think that that it made sense on that level to me mm-hmm. i don't know what exactly we're going for That's and then she goes it, ex- exactly exactly what you oh okay <laughs> good <laughs> um and uh and then she goes into the temple uh i i feel like this is a very small note but if the uh the names were engraved on the statues <laughs> rather than just they show up later and she writes them down. Yeah. I would have a better sense of like, because that, that shot is probably very short. Like you we're not in that temple for more than a minute. Right. Uh, and I, that's not enough time. I think to like figure out what every symbol means when you're watching it as a time-based medium. Right. Um, even on the page, I was kind of like, okay, Yvonne is attacked by dogs because there was the wolf man from the beginning. And that's a thing. Okay, sure. You know, Victoria's cradling her son because she had these problems with her son that she never addressed fully. And, you know, uh, but, uh, yeah, so that's kind of, um, what I got out of it. Uh, I wrote down a couple of notes. Let's see if I can find them. Um, oh, one thing that, uh, wasn't clear to me was, um, it's not clear if Flora knows what her plan is in advance when she leaves Margot and I, Yvonne. Okay. Because um, when I was reading it, I was like, oh, she's about to do the thing, and she knows where she's going and what she's doing. Even if she doesn't know exactly the solution yet, she knows roughly what she's going to do. Because she leaves them the note that's like, uh, I'll, I'll tell you when we wake up or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then when she gets down to the village, she's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. And I'm like, that's, but she just, she wrote them a note, to give them faith and confidence. Um, yeah, so that's just a one thing. Uh, one other thing, this has kind of bugged me from the back of my mind for a while, and I didn't, like, verbalize it until now. Uh, why, why do they need to have oxygen tanks in if they're just sleeping? Oh, um, that'll be Act 1 stuff. Um, okay. But, uh... The the air outside in this world is not safe to breathe. Oh, okay. It's, it's, it's pollution is the answer. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, huh. and they and they have to go like way out into the desert, and it's like dangerous, and they have to go like into the zone where you know. Um, yeah. Uh, it's it's a it's a very hostile world. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. That'll be Act One stuff. I uh, yeah, I, I do not think that there was a like a ready solution for that. Not to impugn your writing oh, skill, but just to say like I thought it was just a, a contrivance of the plot because that's what I would do. <laughs> that's how I would how I would write it. Uh, um, good good question. Um, it, I it is going to be fascinating to like. I think a lot of the next month is going to be you guys going like, oh, <laughs> wait, <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, okay, that didn't. Well, this changes a lot. It would have been nice, nice to notice. <laughs> yeah. yeah um. So, uh, one, this doesn't really reflect on your pages uh, as they are currently, but it's just more of a question for you. Um, do you have a document that contains the the script in its current version, at, like from the beginning of Act 2 to, to yes, now? Yes, I do. How long is it? It is 100 pages. Golly gee. <laughs> I mean, that's that's all right. It, it You know, Act 1 should be... About 20, 25 pages. 120 pages is a long screenplay, but it's not a it's not a crazy. Yeah, screenplay. I I would not be surprised if your Act One ends up based on the the, based on the, the, the what we've seen so far. Yeah, uh, if it ends up being like thirty five pages, and that's just you know something to. I don't think there is much that I would just cut outright, um, but uh, that's just something to consider as you move forward with revisions. Is like. How do you get this to a place where someone will look at it and not go, ugh, right. <laughs> they see the length, you know? Yeah, I mean, this is bad. This is a bad habit. Before I started writing, I just looked up how long the screenplay for Inception is. It, it is 240 pages long. Hoo-wee! <laughs> and, and looking at that, I was like, okay, just as long as... <laughs> as long as it's not that. <laughs> as long as it's not that. It, that can't be right. I think it was, I think it was 150 pages long. Okay, two hundred and forties would be. Insane. That's like four hours. That's like four hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it made, and it made sense. Like I, I, like it's about as many minutes as the, the movie is. So I think it was like one hundred and forty-seven, hundred and fifty pages. Like, okay. It's like okay, as long as I'm well under that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, I I write this way because so that my act ones can be very very tight and efficient. Um, right. Because in my experience, my act ones tend to be gigantic, sprawling messes hmm. if I start out with them. Because I get excited by all this stuff, and I'm like, this would be cool, this would be cool, this would be Shiny cool. object syndrome. Exactly. And then you get back to it, it's like, oh, no, that was important. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, but it's integral to the plot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so you, you already kind of brought up the, um, some questions about the dynamic of Flora leaving in a farm. And, and I think the biggest change to this by far is that part of the screenplay. Um, did the... My two questions for that are, are did the character dynamics feel specific? Like they, they meant something and were kind of accomplished? Like, did it feel real and, and, and something that you could, you could put your finger down on? And then the other thing is, did it feel like it belonged in the movie? Um, it did feel real to me. It felt like um, we've seen these characters go through so much, and it makes sense for them to want to just give up at this point. And that's and Flora even has a moment where she, you know, she turns back and she just joins them in the garden, um, and uh, that's the the last refusal. I don't know if that's an official term, but that's what I'm calling it. It's like the last. I'm not crossing this last threshold. I can't do it. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, so, and as for does it belong in the movie, I think it does, but it's just, it feels kind of, I can't say this as a real criticism, but just as like a feeling kind of thing. It feels like it's really late for this to be happening. 
Um, yeah. For it, for them to spend as much time as they do, like dwelling and giving up. Right. Um, if w- the way that I would encourage you to think about it for the future, and you don't have to do it this way, um, is to find like a defining give up moment, and then uh, like just one little speck of floor giving up with them. Right. To find a way to condense, it's you know I don't know how many pages it is, but uh, there's a few pages of before she goes down into the city and stays there. Right. Um, and it, very economical screenwriters, I think, can find a way to do that in a few lines right. and a few visual moments. Right. Um, I, I'm not one of those. That's I, I would not do it that way uh, in my first draft, at least. But um, it's it's something to consider to be like. Um, when Flora goes back to them uh, and leaves, maybe she doesn't even go back. Maybe she just has been writing in this journal the whole time, which, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, good luck inserting this journal into uh, horrifying action sequences throughout the movie. Um, maybe instead of going back, she just, uh, they have this beat of this conversation. Mm-hmm. And then she presses forward, Margot and Yvonne stay behind, and Flora looks over her shoulder, sees them building up their cabin or whatever. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's the, the, the good thing about it is that it helps us understand these characters more that we've been on this long journey with. Right. The, the challenge to it is um, that it can slow down your pacing. And right. people might be like, I thought we were at the end of the movie. Or is there going to be two more hours of this? Right. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I was... <clears throat> this, is another, this is another problem. I shouldn't name this part back from the microphone. Uh, this is another problem I have. I mean, one of my biggest inspirations, just screenwriting wise, is is the Fellowship of the Ring, which is a three hour movie. <laughs> right. Um, I the, the the reason I I put so much time into this this bit where they sort of just hang out in this cabin is like this is the point in the screenplay where there needs to be a little lull. This is the the meeting with the goddess section. Mm-hmm. And I need a beat where, you know, Flora just took her biggest hit, and I need a beat where she learns something from it and, and kind of gets the, the thing that's going to help her, you know, make it to the end. Um, the, the way that I wrote it initially is she spends a very short amount of time with Margaret and Yvonne before moving down into the, uh, into the, like, the valley the village and what I it kept not I kept trying to get Margot and Yvonne back like I would write it where Mar- I rewrote it where Margot and Yvonne come down and, and are with her for that bit and I wrote it where she goes back up and visits them and it, that just felt really awkward and it felt like it totally sucked the tension out and it's like no this should be like a Sigourney Weaver going back into the alien nest like it should be point a, of no return a point of no return um, and it, it, it put all of Flora's growth with a bunch of NPCs that we've never seen before. I was like, that should be with these characters who are real people, who she's grown with and who have changed. And I want to give Yvonne a chance to, to develop as a character and, and have an arc. And I want to do the same thing with Margot. And I want it, like, that stuff felt like this is more valuable than time spent in the Valley. And I would rather have this go on for a minute and let it breathe than like cut this so she can spend more time with a bunch of NPCs. Yeah, yeah, I get you on that. It 
you know, that's, but that's, that's really valuable. That's a really valuable perspective going into my first round of, of edits on this. When I, when my draft one turns into a draft two is like, I'm like, I'm flagging that section as long, as <laughs> uh, yeah. pacing. So uh, a screenwriting term for what we're experiencing here is the dark night of the soul. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where, um, Flora's lost Victoria. That's the year always lost, you yeah. know. And uh, then she just kind of escapes it, not thinking. And then the thing that's kind of missing mm-hmm. uh, for it to really work for me like that is for us to really see the value of Victoria's friendship to Flora. Right. If if we have a moment of real despair from Flora, mm-hmm. where we understand more about why she's staying there and why she is reluctant to leave the cabin then we'll see more of what her choice is because right now it's just like, Oh yeah. Lost Victoria. You already lost Xavier and Joaquin earlier. And did they not matter? You know, right. but if we know, and like, this is also act one stuff. If we know their relationship going, going right. into it, um, then that's very helpful. But, uh, if we see just, um, that moment of her, you know, just in absolute despair and depression, throwing a mug against the wall or, playing catch with herself against the garage door, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, Then I think it'll, I'll be less concerned about pacing because I'll know more about where she is emotionally in that, in that time frame. That makes a lot of sense. I was, I was definitely something I was thinking about. I was definitely part of my motivation to, to give the cabin bit more room to breathe. Um, I think I was going to have a scene where they like do a funeral for her and then I either forgot or it just didn't, well, well, yeah, it was it was hard to make it, you know. Exactly, uh, but that's yeah. I'll, I'll think about uh, another question I have for you. The very, very, or wasn't the very, very first time. I think it was the second time I brought new pages. First time I did a major rewrite and <laughs> deviated from my outline. First of many. Uh, you had a question for me, which was, "How are you going to top this?" Uh, I open with a very, very big, crazy set piece. Yeah. Um, do you feel like I have? I think that, um, so the last real big set piece we get, uh, that's, that is a set piece and not other stuff, which I'll yeah. get into in a second, is the whole thing with, uh, the, the big chase sequence with the, the twins and the monsters yeah. and everything. And that tops it, I think, easily. Okay. Uh, where uh, it's clear that, like, that's the climax. Right. Uh, and then your act three, you know, blowing up the Death Star is, is the, biggest set piece of Star Wars for its emotional impact just as much as for its um, spectacle. Right. And in uh, in this screenplay, I think you've done an interesting thing, which is kind of lean more into the emotional impact and the arc of the characters and what it, what it means on a story level right. than doing something big and crazy and goofy. Um, and I think that works. Okay. Um, I, I think that uh, we've just been through uh, Flora, you know, in, interacting with a version of herself that tortures herself, you know, uh, and we, we don't need to see any more of that. We're like, okay, we get it, you know, and like the end of Inception is just him going down with his family and it's spoiler alert for a nine year old movie. And then uh, there's just that story beat of if the top is continuing to spin or not. Right. Um, and it's, it's not like a big crazy thing at the end. It doesn't really have to be. Um, so yeah, I'm happy with it. I think that, um, it's, we talked, uh, one or two episodes ago about subversion. Right. 
uh, I think that uh, putting your craziest visuals at the end of Act 2 uh, works just fine. It, it's a bit of a subversion, but it's not something that should worry you. Yeah, and, it, and it's... Yeah, I mean, and, and I'm thinking about it now, like, the, the craziest visuals in, like, The Dark Knight happen in, at the end of Act 2. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can definitely think of a lot of movies, and a lot of movies that I'm inspired by, in particular, I'm thinking of... Um, Annihilation, uh, 2001, The Shining, like, well, less so with The Shining, but, but there's a number of movies that have this sort of surreal journey format where the ending, the sort of the big set piece that it delivers is weirdness, mm-hmm. and more so than, like, something, like, crazy, or it's yeah. like, like, I hope that, uh, my, my goal with this part of the movie is that, like, if, like, if someone watched it a little bit too young, they would, like, feel, like, uncomfortable and weirded out. Yeah. By just, yeah. like, trying to unravel what, what had just happened. Right. Um, I'm now wondering if the bit where they wake up and high-five and fly off <laughs> cuts into that a little bit. Like, that's very much not how 2001 ends, with, like, like all the characters going, like, we did it! <laughs> Same thing with yeah. Annihilation. It ends in this really surreal, I have so many questions. Same thing with Inception. Like, yeah. all of those movies end with gigantic questions. And that's not something I've ever thought about as a goal for this. I wonder if that... Uh, it could be... Um, it, it could be you write it one way, and if it's ever shot, it's shot another way. You know? Yeah. Where, it, like, what makes it into the final cut does not need to be what's on the page. Yeah. Uh, what I think could be a cool ending for you would be to have basically, like, the same information that you're shooting, but uh, just cut out just every few shots of it. Where, like, she goes through the through the temple doors, opens the door, there's a blaze of light or whatever it is. and I can't remember what it says in the script. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just see her eyes open. We see a couple other eyes open, maybe, and we see the timer, and then that's it. And we don't see them leave. Right. We don't. We're not entirely sure if everyone made it out. We only know for sure that Flora's sat there, which you can accomplish that by shooting the ending as it's written, and then just not giving the audience all the right. recorded footage. <coughs> so, um, so how do you feel? What What do you think would serve your story best? Well, I mean, it's a story about overcoming your inner demons and, uh, like, not hating yourself and, and becoming... I mean, like, like, literally the... I mean, it's, it's different iterations of herself, but, but, I mean, that was sort of my... So if, if Laura Flora's greatest enemy is her own self-torture, she, she solves the problem by loving herself. Yeah. She has, like, mom versions of herself and daughter versions that are hugging each other and, like, saying goodbye and, like, being supportive. And um, that's I think that is why I have strayed away from, like, creepy, are they really dead? Is it all a dream? Are they still trapped inside? Like, that sort of thing. Because uh, it, it should be a pretty uplifting story. If, yeah. I, if I do it properly. Um, the cat is losing her shit right now, by the way. She's really emotional about this screenplay. She is. She's <laughs> my biggest fan. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I I think that 
you know, what, you know, I think the, the weird version, you know, I, I, I think I even say in the screenplay, like, they see the world through different eyes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the weird version would be they wake up and there is literally stuff that's different. Hmm. Like the sky is a different color. Or they can breathe the air. Or <laughs> something something like that where it... Like that kind of, that's actually kind of a fun idea. There, there's um, a quote about uh, the, the video game Psychonauts, which is also about del- diving into people's subconsciouses and learn, you know learning about their inner demons and helping them become more healthy. Uh, there's a quote which sort of the whole design team based, thought about a lot, which is what color is the sky in your world? Hmm. And it could be fun to do a sort of literal version of that where, you know, an interpretation of it would be they, they just are seeing the world through new eyes and we're showing that in a cinematic interpretive way. Another version of that would be they are still trapped in the dream, but it's just they've created, like they are, they are so, they're so they've, they've kind of confronted their demons to such an extent that they just get to live in. The Orpheum has congealed into a version of, of their reality that they now get to live in. Um, is, that, is that cool? That seems like it could be fun. Yeah. Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe something like where she goes through the door Yeah. and, uh, the world they wake up in, we're not sure if it's which world it is, you right. know, maybe it's just, uh, she goes through a door, they wake up, they go outside. And, uh, instead of like the shitty desert wasteland they were in previously, they're in like the city from the beginning. Right. Uh, in, from the beginning of act two, right. where it's like the good version of the city before things went bad. Right. Uh, that, yeah, I mean, that makes it pretty explicit that they're very much still... Yeah, well, <laughs> so is the sky being a different color. You know, there's, there's only so much you can change yeah, there. That's, that's the super explicit version. Right. Maybe it's like um, she just goes through the door, and that's it. It's just the story ends when she goes through the door, because the, it's clear now that the world that they created for themselves that was a problem is now no longer a problem. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter where they wake up. Right. Or if they wake up. Yeah. I don't know. It's something for... That's something for you to steal on, it's, I guess. It's the easiest thing in the world to change. It's literally yeah. one scene. And it's the hardest thing in the world to make your mind up about, you right. know? Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, cool. I guess we'll talk a little bit about just uh, what our goals are for next week, and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm going to come in with an outline for Act 1. Uh, it's going to be a dramatic shift for yeah. my workflow. Yeah. Um, I have somewhere let's see if it's easily accessible a, i've been keeping a running list of stuff that i need to establish in act one um why but yeah i'm pulling it out tell me what i would so um i uh i my act 2b is looking like it's going to be shorter than i thought it would be mm-hmm. um just based on the the amount of scenes that i have left it's not going to be like a full because act 2a was like 27 pages or something and this one is going to be like or 27 to 30 or something. This one's going to be like 22 to 25. Uh, so I think I can wrap up Act 2B uh, and, uh, or, or at least one of the endings, you know, get to the point where it's the Dark Knight of the Soul or All is Lost or whatever, however you draw the line between Acts 2 and 3. I want to get to the end of there so that the last couple of weeks are just pure pure Act 3, the last, you know, storming the castle kind of, kind of beats. Gotcha. Yeah. Is it is it fun to hear what, what I have? 
do you have a like a, a numbers on it? Like how many it is? Uh, I can count it real quick. Oh my goodness gracious! I don't think this is going to be quick at all. Uh, and are some of these like? I should I should interrupt you. Once. Okay. I have, I, have 20, I have twenty three things. Twenty three things. Yeah, uh, I think next week is going to be us talking about those twenty three things. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a big part of your. I think it will be your conversation. Yep, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, it'll be yeah. interesting. Well, All right, cool. Good podcast. Good podcast, everybody. See you next week. See you next week. Three to go.